Hello, Conspirituality Podcast listeners. Welcome to a sample of a Patreon bonus episode. We release these every week for our subscribers. They're usually solo essays from our team. It costs $5 a month for access, and the support helps to keep us ad-free and editorially independent. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash conspirituality. Thank you. Okay, so getting to it. Um, Christina, you sent us uh, a pretty comprehensive written account of your life path in relation to spirituality cults. So thank you for that. It was fascinating to read. Um, There's a couple of detours in it that we think are really poignant, but I'll just summarize. You're going to go through it, but for listeners, um, we're going to be going through roughly three parts. Um, Firstly, uh, you grew up uh, in part in the abusive cult of Eknarathaswaran. Secondly, it seems like you broke free of that network and then began to take some control back over your sense of self, in part by working in strip clubs where you also then grappled with other forms of coercion and undue influence uh, before, and this is the third part, you found yourself in a southwestern yoga community here in the States that is now getting red-pilled. So is, is that a good summary, do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I hope this is, I, I get to set a precedent. First time strip club talk on conspirituality podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Right. So, so we, we want to go through your account in detail. And so when we hear something that we want to ask about or discuss further, we'll just wave, uh, or, or, you know, uh, make eye contact. So is that, is that work? Yep. That works. Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right, Christina, take the floor. All right. The story begins as all the good ones do in the late 1960s in Berkeley, California. My dad, in his early 20s, had fizzled out of classes at UC Berkeley, was dabbling in political science courses at Merritt Community College in Oakland, doing his best to avoid the draft, and as many were at the time, searching for real answers to the real questions. This is classic. Um, now, all right. Yeah, can you can you say a little bit more about where your dad comes from? Um, yeah. And specifically, like, was dropping out of uh, Berkeley was that significant with regard to his family and class background? You know, he comes from Merced. He grew up in Merced, California. Uh, it's which is different now than uh, than where when he grew up. It was very Leave It to Beaver. Um, very kind of like. A uh, classic uh, middle class um, family. My grandmother was a school teacher. Um, you know, I, I think I don't. He didn't. My dad didn't express um, any major disappointment from his parents about dropping out. It was he was he was kind of rolling that hippie wave, you know, and just trying to quote, maybe find himself. Um, and, you know, they did have my, my family, previous generations did have resources and access to education. Um, so, you know, it, it, it wasn't a huge point of contention, I don't think, because it did. He did continue, obviously, with his education. And perhaps uh, the uh, education he did have access to was unsatisfying in terms of the real answers to the real questions. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it left a. It was 
there was a huge void. And that was, that's just the sense that I got when I, anytime I talked to him about that period, it's just like, but he wanted more, you know? <laughs> so we went for it. So, so let's hear. Okay. So beginning what would be a long and dedicated practice, my dad took part in meditation classes in the Bay Area with teachers such as Swami Chinmayananda, which eventually led him to meet a woman named Jane. Jane, then in her very early 20s, introduced my dad to her meditation teacher named Eknath Ishwaran, who was then in his 60s, living with Jane and leading meditation classes at the time. Jane, who would go on to spend the next 20 years of her life with Ishwaran, recounts that this is when the sexual abuse began. Now, let's just clarify that Jane is a pseudonym. Yes. Uh, so, we're, we're, this is one of our points of anonymity here. But when you say that um, Ashwaran was living with Jane, Jane was living with Ashwaran, does that mean that he's cohabiting with a bunch of students? Is it is it an ashram-type situation? Um, the impression that I got yet was that, yes, cohabitation. It sounds, sounded to me like there were a lot of people living in this, in this house. I, I didn't get the sense of an ashram quite yet. It was more just like Bay Area hippie living. Um, I, I think seeds were being planted uh, uh, by Anna Schwarn's behalf to create a group style lifestyle. I think he was starting to like sink his teeth into that and, and feel how good that felt for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but not necessarily, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say ashram quite yet. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he may have already found a benefactor. Mm, right? Absolutely. Someone absolutely. who was willing to pay his way in exchange for his charisma. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. So, so where does he come from? Okay. So Ishwar was born in Kerala, India He excelled in academia, was a professor of English literature, and came to the United States on a Fulbright scholarship. Ishwaran, most well known for his translations and interpretations of Indian religious texts such as the Bhagavad Gita, also met with and was highly influenced by Gandhi and his teachings. I just want to interrupt here to say the pedigree is kind of rare in terms of the gurus that we would normally cover and a lot of the gurus who made headlines because of their outlandish and and uh, you know abusive activities in the 70s and 80s this is this is a Fulbright scholar who met Gandhi yeah wow yeah and, and we'll get to this maybe later on but you guys talk you know on the pod talk so much about we talk so much about bypassing um, and what really came to the surface for me in this, project was academic bypassing. You know, we talk about spiritual bypassing, political bypassing, and academic. And it, that was became a major theme as I was speaking with very highly educated family members. Interesting. And, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? Are you saying that, that um, p- people in high demand situations can ignore the peril that they're in if they feel that they're sufficiently intellectually defended or if they have like academic jobs or if they're credentialed or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think like the credentials can, can bypass a lot of uh, bad behavior. (laughs) 